Good morning. Uh, every so often, we love uh, to have people just come up and share their experience with soul care. So if you've been around here for a while, you know exactly what I mean when I say soul care. Uh, basically, what it means is we gather big here on Sunday mornings, uh, worship, center our lives on prayer and on God's word and the teaching of uh, the scripture. And then we gather small in people's living rooms during the week. And that's what we call soul care. If you're interested to find out more about soul care and how to get into a soul care community, grab one of these. They're in the back. But every once in a while, uh, we love to have someone come and just share God's grace to them that they've experienced in and through soul care communities. Uh, Thankfully, Jeremy and Rachel are in one of these soul care communities. And so not only do we get to pray for them and hear a little bit about their story uh, like Matt just shared, but they have a small place uh, someone's living room that they can really pour their hearts out uh, during the week or on a every other week basis. Uh, this morning, we get to hear a little bit of God's grace to Alicia. She's going to come and share her experience at Soul Care and some of the things that the Lord is doing uh, in her life through that group and now how that is expressing itself uh, missionally. I don't want to take her story, but come on up and uh, just share a couple of minutes with us. morning. Um, So for anyone who doesn't know me, my name is Alicia. And about a year ago, I was going through a pretty tough time in my life um, with an ex-boyfriend, and I really needed some guidance. So I asked Matt Cruz if he wouldn't mind just talking to me. Um, So we sat down one day, and we just had a discussion, and it kind of came about that I needed to focus my life on my relationship with God, and from that, um, everything else will kind of fall into place, and and not to worry about the relationship with the ex-boyfriend, but to really focus on my relationship with God. So Matt basically just told me that um, he thought it would be really good for me to join a soul care. Um, He said that so many people who had joined soul cares had really benefited from them, and he thought it would be a really good thing. So I was definitely really nervous. Um, I didn't know any of the people that were in this soul care, so I was really intimidated, but um, I decided to join. And right away, I have to say, the people that were in my soul care were just so loving, so caring. Um, They just offered me so much support and guidance, more than I could have ever imagined. Um, And I just felt God's love just pouring out from these people into me, and it was just, it really helped me in my walk with God. Um, So as I was in this group, I was really kind of reflecting on my life and where that was headed, and I'd been working as an interior designer for the last three years, and I knew that God had given me a gift as a designer, um, but I kept on thinking, if God had given me this gift, how am I going to use this gift to give back to the Lord. Um, so I started looking, and I found this um, nonprofit Christian organization called Engineering Ministries International, and they're a missional-based program that sends people, designers and architects, um, overseas to help rebuild um, communities um, for people that really need it. So I decided that I wanted to apply to this. So I talked to my soul care, and the people there were just really supportive. And again, they just really 
I think gave me the confidence to apply to something like this. Um, and they just really offered me the support that I needed. So I ended up applying, and about a month and a half ago, I was accepted into this program. So in January, I will be leaving to go to Colorado um, and then doing a short-term missions trip in Africa to help um, design a facility over there. I'm not exactly sure what the facility is going to be. It hasn't been assigned yet, but I'm really looking forward to this. Um, and because it's a nonprofit organization, I do need to raise funds. So if anyone would like to help support me financially, I would really appreciate it. And then if you guys, I know we're in a tough time financially, everyone because of the economy right now, but I think if you can't support me financially, if you all could just keep me in your prayers, um, that would be really a true blessing for me because I definitely could use the prayers. Um, and then I am going to be keeping up on the 411 and just letting people know how that's all going to take shape. So if you have any questions, definitely find me after church, and I would love to answer anything. Um, and just thank, thanks, everyone, and thanks, everyone in Soul Care. All right. Um, thanks, Alicia. Um, you should have had a small... What would that be? Eight and a half by five and a half, if you cut it down the middle, flyer on your table, on your chair when you came in. Um, one of the good, fun, hard challenges that we're facing, as you can see, is that uh, our church is overcrowded, not just for gathering in here on worship. Uh, every Sunday over the last few months, we've had maybe seven to ten free seats at the most. And someday the 40 people that belong to this church that aren't here today are all going to come on one day, and we're going to be standing in the, in the aisles. Um, and we're not just overcrowded in here, but in the other space that we use. So I think it was Dana and Marie and Laurel who had nursery last week with 13 or 14 little kids in a 700-square-foot classroom. Um, we don't have office space. We're working on one bathroom. We have just outgrown the capacity of the way we've been doing church for the last uh, five or six years. And so there's so many different ways that you can um, handle and deal with overcrowding issues of growth, growth, which are a good thing. The list is really long. You can worship twice on a Sunday. You can go find a bigger place to gather everyone for a bigger service. You can split this up into a second site or even take a third of you and go plant another church. You can say, no, we're going to go find a building that's going to be ours with a long-term lease or a purchase, and that'll be the home of our church for the next 25 years. You could just break everything up into little small house churches that meet by themselves. There's a list about this long. We've looked at everything that you can do to deal with overcrowding in the life of your church. The doors that we have felt would be good ones to go through and we have knocked on have not opened. And so what we're going to do during this season of Advent is to not only press into a season of prayer as a church, awaiting the coming of our Savior in the way that we get to do every Christmas, but also just coming to our, our good Father and saying, by your grace, by your Spirit, we need grace and wisdom for what to do with what you're up to in the life of Seven Mile Road. We could make out the list of pros and cons until the cows come home, or we could just pray. And so what we're going to do is spend a season this Christmas 
just pounding on the door of heaven in a myriad of ways saying, God, you guide us. You open a door for how you would like us best to make use of space for your gospel, for the good of tens of thousands of people who live in these cities that we love so much. And so if Seven Mile Road is yours and this is your place, we'd love for you to participate in this season of prayer with us. Tomorrow night we're going to gather back here for a member forum and also to just cast vision for, so how does a church set itself to intentional, focused, resilient prayer for a season going in a certain direction? We're going to unpack all of that for you. We just want you to know that as pastors, we're not blind to the overcrowdedness and have been working on it for a while and have come to a point where uh, we just want to turn with all of you guys, our hearts to heaven and pray this thing through. We don't know how God answers prayer until he does. And then we go, there it was. That's how God was intending to answer. So I couldn't be more excited to throw this thing back on God, to let him open doors for us and to feel that it's coming out of a sacrificial season of intense prayer that God would help us missionally and strategically to know how to deal with um, the space issue that's facing us. So if you read through that little flyer, you'll get the whole scoop. If you come hang out with us for that member forum tonight, we'll open the doors to a new way of you participating in prayer with us. Get it, got it good online. We'll be updates about that kind of thing as well. All right, main event now for today. So if you remember, in August, when we would love to have gone to the lake and had baptisms on a 92-degree day, and we all would have gone swimming and suntan and volleyball and this Frisbee game that somebody taught us how to play, uh, nobody was ready to be baptized. And now, over the last few months of, of the church, life in conversation in different ways, there's a bunch of folks that had said no, no. Um, I, haven't, I need to be baptized. When do we do that? How do we do that? And so we're going to be doing that today. The way that we roll this out is, remember, baptism is your first uh, public step of obedience and confession that you are now a disciple of Jesus. He commanded that we be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And so that's what we do. When God changes your heart and makes you new on the inside and you long to now live in obedience to and relationship with him, step one is to march out into some body of water somewhere and take the plunge to show the whole universe I belong to God. He has been good to me. He has shown me his grace. And so that sacrament of baptism is what we get to participate in as a community today. These folks are being invited not only in response to Jesus and his gospel, but into community with us. We don't just baptize someone and then cross our fingers and hope that things go well with them. We baptize them into community, into discipleship, into friendship, into the life of our church. And so here's how this is going to roll. Instead of me yelling at you for 40 minutes, which I love to do, I've only got 15 minutes to do that. But before I do that, we're going to let you hear the stories of God's grace given to these folks. Um, and so they're making their profession of faith. They're pledging themselves to respond to God in all the remaining days of their lives, in repentance and in faith and obedience. And they are wanting in on this new community that um, Jesus and his grace is building universally and right here in the life of our church. All right? Get it? Got it? Good? Okay. So first I'm going to invite uh, Mariah to come up.
All right. Well, I'm sure, first of all, um, you guys are wondering why I am standing up here today. Um, And I think we should try to answer that. Today is baptism day, and I need to be baptized. It's that simple. I need to be baptized. Scripture tells us to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. My journey with Christ began a little more than 13 years ago. About 13 years ago, when I was a teenager and Saved by the Bell was still cool, I began to want to go to church. And so I did. I started to learn all about this guy named Jesus. The more I learned, the more I became aware of my own life and the way that I was living it. A few months later, I realized the depth of my sin and my desperate need for a savior. Jesus came into my heart and my life was changed. Through these years, life has happened. Sometimes it was joyous and sometimes it was sad. But through it all, Jesus has been my constant friend and companion. Over the years, I began to see the need to be baptized. Scripture tells us that. Once I realized that, I made an attempt, but it definitely fell short. Then I didn't think about it again. Until recently, that is. A few months ago, Jesus began working on my soul and again began to show me that I have not followed his word or done what is asked of me. So here I am today, telling all of you that Jesus has changed my life and in obedience to his word, I'm going to be baptized today. All right, hello. I didn't really prepare a speech um, written, so I'm going to kind of wing this a little bit, but I kind of already know what I want to say. Um, my name is Jared Bisbano. Uh, I've been coming to this church for about five months now with my wife, Walla, or Prissy, depending on uh, who introduced you to her. Um, but um, my journey has kind of started a little bit differently than most people. Uh, I was born into a Roman Catholic family, and... Uh, for some reason, going to church kind of felt like a chore to me, and um, I never really felt comfortable going. It just um, never really resonated to me, and uh, you know, I just pretty much went just because my family went, because um, you know, my family's Italian, pretty hardcore thing. You're a Roman Catholic, that's where you go, you go to church. You know? Every Sunday, my grandmother still goes to church every morning, you know, 5 o'clock, Monday morning, she's, she's at church. Um, but that was never really kind of who I was. Um, so pretty much when I went into college, I kind of went away from church. I pretty much stopped going. Um, a lot of people, when they go to college, it kind of happens. And um, then I met my wife, and she kind of brought me back a little bit. Um, she told me about her church that she went to. So it's a lot different than what I was used to because I'm used to, you know, just sitting down, standing up. You know, everyone says the same thing at the same time. That's kind of uh, Roman Catholic mass. Um, so I went to her church in Lowell. It's, uh, it was very outgoing to say the least, you know, people waving flags, people jumping up and down, spinning around, that's kind of the church that I went from, uh, you know, Roman Catholic Mass to the complete, you know, opposite, and um, it, was, it was different for me, and it took me a little bit to get used to, but uh, I really started to like it, and um, I started reading the Bible for the first time, never read it, never read it the first 23 years of my life, and um, I don't know, I just, um, I just felt like I was being prepared. Um, 
we got engaged, and then I think it was Christmas Eve a couple of years ago, and our pastor had an, an altar call, an, an altar call, and for some reason I stood up. I don't know why, and you know I just said, you know, I want to be born again. Um, I said it in front of the entire church, and um, at that point, um, I just felt like my life has been changing slowly, you know, day by day, month by month. Um, just recently, just to kind of give an example, um, over this past year, I was laid off, I was a teacher, and, you know, especially in tough times, right, like right now, um, you know, money is really hard to come by, and you know, I just never gave up my faith. I always just knew that, you know, God had a plan for me and that no matter what happened, you know, the bills were going to get paid and the bills got paid. Never looked at that bank account. was too scared. But, um, you know, no matter what, you know, month by month, you know, it just, everything just kind of fell, fell, you know, into place for me. And I just know that, you know, this is the next step for me. When I heard that, you know, he's having a baptism um, this week, um, I, just, I, I just knew I wanted to be a part of it. Um, even, you know, further proof into God's plan that, you know, during the weekends I usually work and I'm not here too often because I have to work. Um, and, you know, this entire week I've been trying to get this day off so I can come and get baptized. And it wasn't until yesterday, late afternoon, that I finally got the day off so I can come here today. So, um, you know, there's just, when there's a will, there's a way. And, you know, God has a plan for all of us. So that's why I'm here. I'm Christine Aruda. Um, like Jared, I was also, I grew up Catholic. Um, I was baptized as an infant, uh, but I didn't grow up knowing Jesus personally. Um, I was introduced to the fact that I could have a personal relationship, a real relationship with Jesus in high school by a good friend. And since then, I've been growing and learning, and I've been supported and encouraged by tons of friends and various different churches along the way. Um, but I've never really had a church that I could call home. And I've been going here for almost a year now, and I'm just really thankful for this church because I've been able to just really commit, and I'm just thankful that I get this time to just commit my life to Jesus publicly in front of you guys. I'm really excited about what this church is doing for people that I've brought, or people that have come with me, people that I know that go here. I'm just excited for um, what's going to happen in the future with this church, and so I'm just thankful for this opportunity to do this in front of you guys, and... That's about it. <laughs> and then. Good morning, I'm Dan. Um, when my parents stepped foot uh, fresh off the boat on the U.S. in the 70s, First thing they did was join a church, uh, not because they had any faith, um, but because that was just the thing to do. In order to meet other Koreans and other people like themselves, they needed to join a church community. And just because everyone else was doing it, they also, as a young infant, they dedicated me in the church, 
And if I could have said anything at, at that point, I probably would have screamed in protest. Um, so for the rest of my life, I made it a point to show my parents how much I detested them making all the decisions in my life. All throughout my teenage years, I tried to make it clear to them that I did not want any part of their perfect and uh, perfect plan for me. I didn't want to be the doctor or lawyer they wanted me to be. I didn't want to go to Harvard or MIT, nothing against those schools, but I didn't want to do what they wanted me to do. I was in rebellion against my parents, and ultimately I was in rebellion against God. Um, it's hard to believe, but when I was a kid, uh, I was that kid that the parents pointed to and said, don't be like him. Um, I was that kid. All throughout high school, I was a rebellious kid. I didn't want to be the model minority. I wasn't shy. I wasn't um, good at math, solving algorithms and all that stuff in my head. I, I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't good at tennis or golf or any of that stuff. I had my own plans. I had my own goals. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what I wanted to become. I had my whole life in my hands. But God had a completely different plan for me. During the summer before my uh, college freshman year, I went to a Christian uh, retreat because my Christian girlfriend was there. I ended up there, and God's word just completely arrested me. Something um, just really came over me. And I knew, you know, th- I knew that God was calling, calling me. And my conversion was a really simple story. It's just God's word coming to arrest my soul and me just completely surrendering myself to him. I like to say it was easy and, you know, beautiful from that point on, and it was really awesome. But um, selfishness and pride and arrogance is a really hard habit to kick. And it took a long time. But I remember those early days of my Christian faith, when everything was new and just bright and awesome, I couldn't keep my eyes off of Scripture. I remember the days when, right after that retreat, I would go to Barnes & Noble Cafe and I would just sit there on hours upon hours, day after day, just reading the Scriptures and hearing the story about a God that chose this insignificant um, people who were so rebellious against, rebellious against Him and that He was so faithful to them, never giving up on them never leaving them, never forsaking them. This God that, though the Israelites wanted to run away and rebel against him, that he would completely just pursue after him. But God arrested them with his word. He sent Jesus Christ to to them. He, Jesus Christ, came into their reality to come and die. I remember sitting there reading the scriptures that kept calling me to die to myself so that I might be crucified that I no longer live, but that Christ live in me. The scriptures that said, if a man seeks to save his life, he'll lose it. But if he loses his life for him, that I would save it. And the scriptures that kept telling me that everything was lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost or suffered the loss of all things, counting them trash so that I may gain Christ. My story is not about me. It's not about anything that I did or anything, anything bad that I have did. It's about God. It's about God who came into my life, into my reality, 
called me, bid me come and die. When I stubbornly rebelled against everyone, he was a God that persistently pursued after me. When people thought this kid would never amount to anything, God knew that I was worth everything. God called me to serve his church. I would never imagine it for a second. I, I, I vowed, I remember I vowed in high school never to step back into that church again because my parents, that's what they wanted me to do. But God called me to serve his church for the rest of my life. The story is about God. And today, as I get baptized, um, it's just an outward proclamation of what's going on in my heart. Every day, I'm just arrested by God's word. It's just amazing that God would come into my life. Christ would enter into my soul and save me. He lived in perfect obedience to the will of the Father. Obedience that I can never, ever claim. On the cross, he displayed that perfect obedience and he was buried. And he rose again. In that same way today as I get buried, I will want to rise in victory with Christ and proclaim to you, to the world, that Christ is my Savior. I commit to deny myself, carry my cross, and follow him for the rest of my days. And I want to pray, not my will be done, but yours. Amen. kicked into standby very quickly. Sorry about that. Um, what we'll do is, as, as soon as we're done now with um, just a little bit of preaching and sacrament and singing, we're just going to leave everything like it is and jump in our cars. Brent will have some directions. We're going to be driving a mile and a half that way, park at Hormel Stadium, sneak down to the creek over there, and be baptizing these guys together. Whoever called for the 62-degree November day, thank you. My sermon this morning is actually just a simple charge to these folks who are being baptized and to you who have been baptized into the community of God. We've been preaching through this biblical letter of Thessalonians. It's about a church just like this church with people just like Dan and Mariah and Jared and Christine, people who had received a lot of grace from a good God. People who had heard the gospel and believed the gospel and been baptized in obedience to Christ and into gospel community. And one of the things that gospel community that they were a part of became known for in that whole region was their super intense love, their love for each other. Um, Justin read our text Given the background of this letter and the story of this church, you, sh you should have been a little bit surprised that these words would find their way into this letter. And that's because if ever a community had a reason to not be known for their love for each other, a reason to have withdrawn from each other, or even ran away from each other, or hardened their hearts to each other, 
this was that community. Remember, this community, this church, these people had a really short honeymoon together before all hell broke loose right on the heads of their church. They had this few-week, maybe two-month season where Paul and Silas and Timothy preached the gospel to them. Just a short season where they were able to even get to know each other, some of them, to learn what the gospel was, to learn what was required of them in response to the gospel. Boom, before you knew what happened, they hit a rotary, which is our way of saying they ran into affliction. They ran into a situation they were not expecting. They couldn't navigate or handle persecution, pressure, tension. When that happens on a community, what do you imagine could easily happen? Boom. The community could splinter. It could break. It could divide. Especially when you consider how little these people actually had in common with each other before they were brought into this six-week life together. This church was made up of Jews and Gentiles. Now, I know those words are just Christian church words that we hear when we get into a church service in 2009. I just think you'd need, I need you to think of the two most radically different, opposed, opposite people you could imagine somehow coming together in community. This is hip-hop and country music. Good, you got the picture in your head? Right? Garth Brooks and Ice-T hanging and banging. This is Jeff Foxworthy and Keith Lockhart. Can you see those two guys hanging out together? This is Matt Cruz and John Frederick being brought into deep love and community for each other. You see what God had done with the gospel? Brought these people into a relationship against all odds of love. And not just love, but brotherly love. We did it with the kids. That word there is Philadelphia. In secular Greek of the time, Philadelphia was a word that you would only use if you were talking about Matt and James, blood brothers, blood sisters, family. But, and I love this, the New Testament writers stole that word. And they said, no, Philadelphia, that's what God has done through the cross of Christ. He has taken a people who were not and made them the people of God. He has taken men and women who had nothing at all in common, and he has united them into one faith, and one body, and one community, and one family. And that kind of love that you have for your brother or your sister that runs really deep, that is the kind of love that you guys are called to have for me and for each other. The peculiar mark of gospel community is Philadelphia. Family love. This is the I give my life for you kind of love. This is the I will forgive you 70 times, 7 times kind of love. This is the I am in the life of this church for your good, for your joy, for your healing, for your health. What can I do for you kind of love? This is the, I have received incredible love from God, and how can I give that to others who have received that kind of love? Without God and his gospel, 
we do not have the capacity or the framework or the reason for this kind of selfless, sacrificial, familial, brotherly love. There is no other community that has ever existed that has Philadelphia in the way that the blood-bought saints of God do. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not people in other organizations or communities that love this way. That's possible. I know high school principals who love their students this way. Girl soccer coaches who love their players this way. Resident nurses who go about their job with their patients with an intense and deep love. That kind of love is beautiful individually. What I'm saying is that their community, their school, their organization, their health clinic cannot ask for or require or demand that kind of love from them. Uh, Grant Smith is an assistant principal in the Lexington School District. I'm telling you, when he applied for that job, they did not say, Grant, are you going to have brotherly, sisterly love for the students and the faculty here? Because Philadelphia is required of you to give your life for these kids. They do not ask that question in interviews, in organizations. But in the life of Jesus' church, this is mandatory. This is what we need to be all about. Brotherly love. It's the standard. A group of people who have no business being in community with each other, loving each other, suddenly treating each other like brothers and like sisters. Only the gospel can birth that. Only the gospel can require that. Philadelphia. And that is exactly what happened in the life of this church. If you remember, Timothy went and visited these guys, and he came back with his report. And they were like, oh no, what's going to happen to this church? I hope they're still there. He went and knocked on Jason's door, hoping that the church would still be there. What was the report that he came back with to Paul and to Silas? You should see the way these guys love each other. It's crazy. The affliction that their fellow countrymen dropped on their heads did not drive them apart. They are suffering, but they are not turning on each other, Paul. It's awesome. You should see this. They're turning to each other. We thought that maybe this rotary would have brought division, backbiting, skepticism, a retreat from the life of the community. No way. Instead, it has engendered devotion, affinity for each other, sacrifice, unity, love, Philadelphia. Hear the words from the text again. It's just two verses, but it's powerful. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For indeed, that is what you are doing to all the brothers in Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and more and more. This is my charge for you baptizees and for all of you seven milers. I don't even have to tell you guys to love one another. If you have received the grace of the gospel, you know what love 
is all about. You have been extended unconditional, undeserved, unstoppable love from God. Man, turn that love out to each other. And do it more and more. In other words, Philadelphia is an ongoing exercise. Philadelphia is not something that you achieve or you complete or you finish. You check the box and it's done. Philadelphia is literally every day for the rest of your life until Jesus comes back kind of endeavor. Now, there's a lot of things in life that are not like that, right? So there are some things that we do one time or we do for a season and then we are done. There is no more, more and more and more. And we're kind of really glad that it's finished. So you could come up with your examples. You remember taking your SATs? Man, how glad were you that those were done. I took my SATs at the old Everett High School. I sat at a desk that came over on the Mayflower. Patrick Henry had inscribed his name in that thing. I had a goal for my score. I beat it by 30 points. Never took the SAT again. So glad that there was no more and more. A bunch of you guys are in the college application stage right now or grad school. I remember applying to schools and finally getting accepted at BU and rejoicing that I did not have to write another essay ever to get in to graduate school. Done. Diapers are on this list for me. I am so there. I can see the light at the end of this tunnel. I'm like a moth just, ooh, it's pulling me. Ten years in the cruise house has been dirty diaper after dirty diaper. It's soon coming to an end. I've had Callie on that toilet since six months. Come on, girl. <laughs> you can do this, baby. I believe in you. There's other things that we, uh, in life, that we have to do periodically, and they keep coming, but we wish we did not have to do them. We don't like more and more with these things. So we put our head down and we plow through them as quickly as we can. And if someone said, no more, you would say, oh, thank you, no more. So I think colonoscopy, right? Anybody in here pursuing a bi-weekly colonoscopy appointment? No, if you gotta do it, you do it, but it's not something from your heart. And if someone said no more, you would say, fine with me. Another season of Grey's Anatomy is way high on my list for this one. Stop, stop. You just want it to stop and end forever. Please, someone say no more. Thanksgiving with the in-laws, right? I'm sorry, that week is coming up again this Thursday. All those hard questions. What are we eating? What time? Whose house? Who's bringing the dessert? Anybody in here want it to be Thanksgiving every single Thursday? I mean, it's great, but going through that more and more, no more. And then, of course, there are things in life that you do, and you really love them for a little while, and then no more, because you get bored. My son is like this with video games, and we don't even let him at the real ones. So we just get, you know, those cheap ones now that they build it into the joystick, and you plug it into the TV that you got in 1996 from Ames. That's the one that we're rocking at my house. He's worked his way through all four of those, and you know where they are now? Sitting up on the shelf. Now, for three weeks, 
Those guys loved that video game. But what happened? No more. Not interested anymore. Put it up on the shelf. There's a million things in life in all different ways that we have to do or that we like to do for a little while, but eventually the word is what? No more. No more. But love for your brother and your sister in Christ is more and more and more and more and more. Your heart should be alive every single day saying, how can I love the people at Seven Mile Road, Philadelphia, more and more. Every single seven miler is now like a brother or a sister to you because of God's community building grace. There's not a thing that we can ask of you for their sake that you should be like, no more. I've loved enough. I'm done. There is no sin that can be committed in the life of this church that you're allowed to go, no more. No more. No more Philadelphia. I'm done forgiving. I'm done forbearing. I'm done loving. There is no need in the life of this church that should ever go unmet with you saying, no more. I I did Philadelphia for a little while, but I'm backing out. No more. Religious, nominal, detached, checkbox Christianity is ugly, it's unbiblical, and it's sin. If God has saved you, he has saved you into his community. And that means Philadelphia more and more. How can I serve you? How can I love you? How can I help you grow? How can I give my life for your life? What do you need? Will you guys go there with me? Will you go there with Dan? Will you go there with Mariah? Will you go there with Jared? Will you go there with Christine? Will you drop Philadelphia all over these guys more and more, and more, and more, until we have an eternity of Philadelphia with each other? Will you treat these guys like family? I'll close with the text again. Now concerning brotherly love, you do have no need for anyone to preach to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. I urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Dan, Christine, Jared, and Mariah, will you guys come up here? We're going to pray for these guys. I promise you Philadelphia from these people. And I will beat them up if they don't extend it to you. (laughs) Let's thank God for his grace and pray. Father, we can't even imagine this is true that you entered time and space and you entered the fray and you lived a sinless life in our place and you died an undeserved and bloody and grisly death for our sins and then you rose from the dead. Jesus, the Son of God, opening a way for life and adoption as sons and daughters of the living God. As the Seven Mile Road Church, as a gospel community, we've received your grace and your love. And we cannot wait to turn it out to our brothers and sisters permanently. I thank you for your grace to Dan, to Mariah, to Jared, to Christine. I pray that their hearts would fill up with Philadelphia. Love for the saints more and more and more. 
I pray that the unique mark of the church of Jesus Christ gathered here would be intense, selfless, sacrificial love, one for the other, and by it the world will know the love of the Father for His own. Be with us as we sing. Be with us as we come to your son's table. Be with us as we drive a mile and a half to some cold water to baptize these guys in obedience to you and into your community. Your love is is incomprehensible, but we seek to be good vessels receiving it today for your glory, for our joy, I pray. Amen.